1: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Alexa Gagas, in for Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Witches are having a moment right now, and it's not just the release of Hocus Pocus 2. Hundreds of Rhode Islanders attended a recent Witches Night Out Marketplace, the Rhode Island Witches Guild performs dances all around the state, and of course, it's almost Halloween. But witches have been discriminated against for decades, and they still face stereotypes today. So what does it really mean to be a witch or practice witchcraft? To find out, we're talking to Lauren May and Tracy Lawrence, practicing witches who co-own a witch store in Cranston. That, after a quick break. Welcome back. I'm here in the studio with Lauren May and Tracy Lawrence, practicing witches who co-own The Veiled Crow in Cranston. Great to have you both here.
2: Thank you. We're happy to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for having us.
1: How did you both find your way into witchcraft? Maybe, Tracy, we can start with you.
3: When I was a child, I went to the public library near my house and got every fiction book about witches possible. Because, of course, I couldn't bring home actual witchcraft books. That would I was raised Episcopalian. <laughs> so that was not going to happen. So I read everything I could and gleaned information from that. And then when I was in my 20s, I was up in Salem and I was going to museums, not to the witchcraft shops. And I ran into an actual witch. And we had this amazing conversation about her beliefs, and then my beliefs, and all of this. And then she was like, you should read this, this, and this. And that was the start of my actual study and practice. Do you remember what the first book was? Of course, it was Scott Cunningham. (laughs) Guide to the Solitary Solitary Practitioner. (laughs) Practitioner. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I think that was everybody's first (laughs) book. Especially way back
2: in the 90s, Mm, yeah. Absolutely. It was a number one seller back in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It was your way of being like, oh, I don't have to connect with a coven, right. and I have permission to do this on my own. Yeah. And he was one of the first ones to carve that out and be like, you can do this on your own. You don't have to be part of a coven. You don't have to be told what to do.
3: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and rebelling, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word, from Christianity, I didn't want to get back immediately into a group. I wanted mm. to see what I could do on my own. I
2: think a lot of people have that, mm-hmm. that they break away Well, I think that people either break one of two ways. They either break away and they need to kind of stretch their wings and see how that feels to be alone. Or they jump right into a group and they they don't make the transition. They're like, tell me how to practice. Tell me what to do. Tell me. And I don't think that they get to actually connect with self.
1: Can you tell me a little bit more about this book? Like when you first read it, were you saying, wow, I connect to this immediately, or were you kind of pushing it off a little bit?
3: I connected to it immediately, but I find for people who are raised Christian, where they have to release Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I was. it took me a long time before I could do that without wondering if I was making the wrong decision. I enjoyed practicing. I enjoyed connecting with nature and all of that. But it was that moment of being able to release that you have a savior. Someone is going to save you. Mm -hmm. And I really was brought up in the thought, traditional thing, that either a man was going to save me or my faith was going to save me. Someone outside of myself was going to save me. Where that's not the case. We all save ourselves. Mm -hmm. And better start early than later in doing (laughs) that.
1: And Lauren, what about you? Can you talk about your path
2: into witchcraft? So my mom is um, Unitarian Universalist. Uh, So was my father. And then he went into Buddhism for a while. And I was deeply supported to kind of find your faith, find your relationship to God, whatever that means for you. And then when I was about... 11 or 12. I heard about witchcraft and wicca and I was like, "Oh, that is the closest to what I feel inside." I was able to then really kind of bounce around within the blanket term of witchcraft.
1: You know, when we talk about this belief system, I mean, can you can you quickly say like what is the belief system? Can you explain that of witchcraft?
2: Yeah, um, witches believe in God. They just don't think he's a single parent. Mm-hmm.
3: And there are <laughs> some, there are some witches who don't believe in a God per se. Correct, but believe in an energy system. Correct. What does it mean
1: to actually practice witchcraft?
3: For me, practicing witchcraft is a continual study of the topic. It is daily for me daily meditation daily connection to my divine, to the, my guides, my spirits, ancestors. It is a daily connection into what the weather is doing, what the earth is doing. It's staying connected. It's moving energy, but it is a daily thing. And over time, it gets into your bones where, much like stirring coffee in the morning, it becomes automatic. For me, sitting
2: and meditating at my altar doesn't work, the way I meditate is actually a walking meditation. I need to move, I need to have my body moving. So I'll either be jogging or walking and that's how I connect to my spiritual entourage which is what I call all the people that I work with. How you connect is personal. What that looks like for you, does it mean that you are that you have 100 crystals in your room? Does it mean that you have 100 plants in your room? Does it mean that you burn incense or you wear an oil? How it looks is going to look really different, but it's about connecting to the powers that be and understanding that the powers that be is located in every molecule on this planet. The look is actually where the mistake happens because a lot of people are like, well, if I buy this and I do this, then it will be. And I think that you can buy all the crystals, you can buy all the tarot deck, you can buy all the stuffs. And still not be a witch. Witchcraft is not about wearing a faith like a cloak. It's about dropping the cloak and actually standing there raw and authentic with the universe.
1: You know, some people think that all these spells are make believe or pretend.
2: What do you have to say to that? I have a lot of faith in prayer. What is a spell? But a very concentrated prayer except instead of praying to someone to save you, give you money, you are harnessing the power within yourself to manifest it for your life. Spell work is manifestation. Manifestation is prayer.
3: And the thing with spell work, and we tell our customers, our clients, people we're working with, that if you want a spell for money and we help you make a spell candle – And you light it. If you don't do anything on the mundane in your daily life to get money, it won't happen. Right. So this is about shifting energy, shifting your focus, shifting the universe, shifting the way you think. You can look up quantum physics and know that it's the same as witchcraft because it's about energy. Uh So they, they are real. But, yeah, if you just go into our shop and you buy a money candle and you go home and you light it and you sit on the couch and – Eat bonbons and watch
2: daytime TV, nothing's going to happen. Nothing is
3: going to happen
2: because the universe is – Because you're telling the universe that your actions and your words – Don't align. Don't align. And if your actions and your words don't align, the universe has no idea what the hell you're talking about. Mm -hmm. You're gaslighting the universe. If you're really, really clear, the universe hears what you want and will absolutely give it to you.
1: And outside of your own practice as well, you also co-own a store, The Veiled Crow in Cranston. So what can people find there?
2: We like to say that our witchcraft shop is magic made by witches for witches. Basically, we do spell work, and it's how you want to work your magic. So we have oils. We make our own incense. We do custom carved candles. So we do any type of spell work for anything you need, however you want to work your magic.
3: And we also offer books and tarot and oracle decks and crystals to help you with your practice. Right. And classes. Classes, events. We do tarot readings. We have mediumships. We really try to help you with all aspects of your life. Mm-hmm. Including which our accountant yells at us for. We will have people come in and we send them out. We're like, We're like, you, like you don't need you don't need, <laughs> you don't need anything right now. You, talk people you, out of need, stuff. you <laughs> need to work on this, which you don't need a product for. You just need to work on that. Right. And so, when you work on that, come back and right. then we can help you. So maybe not the best business model, but it's what we really want to help. Right.
2: We wanted a space that anybody could come in. Anybody that was on a spiritual path and they could come in and ask questions and get good, authentic, real answers and information. There is a lot of shit out there between Witch Talk and TikTok and, you know, everybody who picked up a tarot deck, and then two months later, uh, they're a professional reader. There's a lot of misinformation out there. There is a lot of intuitive information that isn't always based in actual knowledge. And between Tracy and I, we have, uh, what, 30 years experience? More than that, 60 years experience. (laughs) I keep thinking I'm 20. Um, I love that. We have years and years and years of experience. Many different traditions that we've tried, studied. Um, we are a wealth of knowledge, and we wanted a safe place that people could come and actually
3: ask. And we don't care what spiritual path you're going for. Right, all we, paths
2: lead to the divine. Right. We don't give a crap. And you, we, you help, do you.
3: Right, and mm-hmm. we help Buddhists, and we help Christian yep. witches, and we help Christians, right. and it doesn't matter. Right. We're here to help you connect to whatever you want to connect to.
2: Right. And as long as you are striving for your authenticity, Mm -hmm. we will help you and support you get to where you are. And that includes breaking away from the Catholic Church because you're like, it's too restrictive. And then trying things and realizing, oh, you know what? I do actually resonate with Jesus, but I need to bring in an aspect
1: of nature to it. And then go and do your thing. Like you do you. And speaking of the education side, too, on your website, you talk about the Key and Serpent Society. Yeah. What yeah, is the is. society? <laughs> <laughs> what do you do there? Do people become members? You know, what, is it a coven? Like, what is it? Um, it is not a coven. It is not a
2: coven. So the Key and Serpent Society kind of started as an anti-coven. We found that a lot of traditions and covens, not, not all of them, because there are some spectacular ones out yes. there, But there are also a lot out there that are based in ego. It is about a power trip. It is not about the uh, journey of the members of the group. It's about the person staying in power and everybody else being sheep. So we found a need for a space for people to come and be solitary practitioners – that could all come together in a community, in safety Mm -hmm. is the word that I keep wanting to say, safety. And they could develop and enhance and deepen their practice through community and through structure and discipline without it being so rigid that they disconnect from their authentic self.
1: Anybody can go. It doesn't matter what your background is or if you do practice another religion, anyone can come. It's just very different. It breaks that mold that other religions might Anybody have.
2: Anybody can come. We just ask that you don't be a dick. Be respectful right. of the choices people are making. Be respectful of the other members that are there. Yeah.
1: And you might see a surge in popularity, or already are, in Key and Serpent, in The Veiled Crow. Right now, just across the board, not just in Rhode Island, we're seeing this surge of popularity around witchery everywhere. It happens about every 20 years. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. the first time. I remember nope. in the 90s, early mm-hmm. 2000s, people mm-hmm. were watching Practical Magic oh, and The I love Craft. That movie. I watched it last mm-hmm. night, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, You know, my own mom would read a nighttime story to me that was about a good witch who every kid in the neighborhood would go visit. I love that. Um, And in the 1960s, witchcraft saw a huge surge uh, during the feminist movement. Yes. Mm -hmm. So why do you think we're seeing another boost right now? So I love
2: that you said that. So yes, in the feminist movement, again, in the 90s where you had shows like Charmed and Practical Magic, which was very much about empowerment of, at the time, the female self. So I find that there's always an insurgence of witchcraft in our society when society gets really constructive, gets really uh, male-dominating. Um, And when there's a lot of toxic masculinity, there is an upsurge of witchcraft.
1: Witches have also faced discrimination for centuries. Um, There were witch hunts in the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. The Salem witch trials Mm -hmm. occurred just over the border in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. What do you think has fueled that discrimination over the years? Fear. I don't think that the dominant ideology
2: likes the thought of the outskirts of society being empowered. And they don't like women, people of color, any othered to be self-sufficient,
1: self-empowered, and disconnected from their ruling. You know, but even hundreds of years later, we still have modern-day stereotypes about witches. A hundred percent. What are some of the ones that you hear often? Uh, That we worship the devil.
3: We worship the devil. There's Um, no devil in the craft. Right. There's a big thing people come into the shop and they'll ask, are you a good witch or a bad witch? Hmm.
2: Hmm. Depends on the day. <laughs>
3: right. And I'm like, well, you could turn around and say, are you a good person or a bad person?
2: Right. Are you a good Christian or a bad Christian?
3: Right. They stereotype us in ways that they wouldn't want to be stereotyped themselves. Right.
2: And it's because of media.
3: It is you totally. have your good
2: witch, you have your bad witch. Right. People need to remember that nothing is black and white. It's all shades of gray, mm-hmm. including witchcraft.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And it's like I – there are people who would classify me as a white witch because I do a lot of healing. I do a lot of nurturing. I do a lot of uh, help with people. Um, But there's people who would also classify me as a black witch because I sure as hell know how to hex. I sure as hell know how to do the darker arts if we're going to Harry Potter this shit. I don't consider myself either. I consider myself just a witch. Because I think you need to know the light and you need to know the dark in order to really know all that's in between and where you authentically fit.
1: Are there any common rituals or traditions that Americans do often that are actually rooted in witchcraft?
2: Oh, my God. That is a show unto itself. Seriously. Every Christian holiday has roots in paganism. Like, let's take the Christmas tree. That has pagan roots because the Christmas tree is actually the foundations for the Yule log. Um, You have, let's take Halloween, because this is our Halloween right now. You have tiny little children dressed up as monsters and demons and ghosts wandering around getting candy, and you give them candy so that they move on. There's a pagan thing about Halloween where the veil is the thinnest, so you have... Ghosts and demons and ancestors and all that is in the underworld being able to walk among us. And what you do is on Halloween, you place out food. You place out offerings to your ancestors to nourish them and nurture them as they travel. So even kids asking for candy is based in pagan roots. Um, Take uh, birthday candles. Right, your wish for the upcoming year, and you blow out a candle. That's that's witchcraft, people.
1: <laughs> What's your hope for witchcraft in the next five years?
2: I hope everybody takes it deeper. I hope
1: that people really
2: turn it into a practice that goes into their bones, that it satisfies a craving to connect with something bigger than them and to also be connected to nature and one another rather than just buying tarot. I mean, we own a shop, so please buy tarot cards. But just buying tarot cards and at Halloween wearing a witch's hat, I want it to go into their bones. I want it to go into their daily life because I think that if more people actually walked the path of witchcraft. They would treat their neighbors better. We would treat one another better. We would take care of the earth better. We would be more connected.
3: So right now, the key and serpent does ritual and lectures at a local church. I've had lovely conversations with the minister regarding oh. how What he does and what I do is the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm- Just different words. Right. What I'm hoping will foster through the next five years is that people realize we're all the same and our path to divine is just as valid as theirs and that we can walk them side by side and be great neighbors and build great communities. This whole pull apart and everybody's separate really bothers me.
2: The problem is that we live in a culture where us versus them has too much value.
3: We can
1: work on it. We can work on it. Lauren, Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you.
0: you. for having us. Really, We this really a blast. appreciate it. <laughs> Here
1: are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. I have a Q&A with Will Yang, the director of Brown University's Young Entrepreneurs Program. When James Diosa was the mayor of Central Falls, he traveled more than most mayors to places as far as Israel and Taiwan. My colleague Brian Amaral reports that critics are wondering whether these expensive trips were appropriate. And my colleague Carlos Munoz has a story on a Warwick man who volunteers his time to run Rhode Island Pet Locator, a free social media page for finding your lost pet. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like this podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Alexa Gagas. Ed will be back next week.